We're going to be back in uh, Revelation 16 here. And we got through four of them almost. We're going to back up just a little bit uh, to the to the fourth vial that we talked about. Uh, there's one thing that we didn't mention last week that is going to kind of go into uh, the next one. And, and, and kind of these last three are all really extensions of the same thing. Um, so we're going to back up and read from verse 8 through the end of the chapter. It says, The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and the kingdom was plunged into darkness. Men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because their pains and swords, but they refused to repent of what they had done. The sixth angel poured out his bowl in the river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. And I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs, and they came out of the mouth of the dragon, the mouth of the beast, and the mouth of the false prophet. These are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come like a thief. Behold, he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him, so he may not go naked and shamefully exposed. They gathered the kings together to the place that is in Hebrew called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl in the air, and the temple became a, uh, of the temple, and it came a loud voice from the throne saying, "It's done." There came flashes of lightnings, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on the earth. So tremendous was the quake, and the great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nation collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great, <coughs> and gave her uh, the cup filled with wine of the fury of his wrath, and every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, about a hundred pounds each. Uh, yours might say a talent. That's probably the original. So we'll go with that. A talent. Sorry, I'm reading from the NIV uh, this morning. Uh, and they each fell on men, and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail, because of the plague was so terrible. Some will say they blasphemed uh, on account of the plague of hail. Anyway, there we are. We've read through it. So I want to back up to the fourth vial, that, that scorching sun. We talked about um, the Napoleonic conquest of Europe uh, is kind of what we talked about. But we didn't get to one thing in this, and that was this idea that we've seen repeated, that that men didn't repent, that men... Um, not only did they, they not repent, they blasphemed God for, uh, for the, the suffering. We've seen that before. Do you remember where we saw that before? This idea of, of blaspheming God for, for the various punishments that he gave out instead of using them as an opportunity to repent. Okay, yeah, so, so it, it kind of goes back to Egypt. It uses that. But even in Revelation, we talked about this, where um, <clears throat> with some of those, those sufferings that had happened not, not too long prior to this, um, we saw the rise of a thing called deism. And deism was um, people just simply couldn't understand, and we still hear this today. Right? How could a loving God do this to people? 
this, this is awful. So, so they started to come up with this idea that uh, God created the world, but he doesn't have much to do with it. He's just kind of let it go, obviously, because he doesn't appear to be stopping awful people from doing awful things. Um, and, and we've seen really how that even infected America uh, because of their connection with France um, during the American Revolution. That was Voltaire and, and various ones like that. Voltaire died before uh, the French Revolution. We talked about that. And, and how his involvement, I mean, men like Benjamin Franklin and, and, and various ones like that were in Europe and, and listened to him and listened to some of the others um, in their philosophies, and they brought them back to the United States, and America suffered greatly at the beginning for, for some of these philosophies. Uh, and so uh, we're going to see that deism takes another evolution after, after this whole thing. Deism becomes atheism, all-out atheism. Uh, these are some of the men that, uh, that were either born... Uh, and raised during or just after. I mean, these men either experienced uh, Napoleon's Europe or were born in the, the aftermath of it and experienced kind of, you know, what it would be like to, to live in the, the, the decade or so after World War II. You kind of, you know, if you're, in, if you're in Japan and you've got to deal with with what Japan is like after it's all over, you, you still feel that effect. And these men, Percy Bysshe Shelley is probably one of the first true atheist authors um, <clears throat> in history that we know of. Um, so, so this becomes a curse on man. Uh, they, they, these men are responsible for a lot of what has gone on since um, for the last 200 years or so. So... Uh, we're going to look at the fifth vial. And that's going to be, a, I wanted to save that for today because it's going to go into what we're going to talk about today. <clears throat> so we get this, this fifth vial. Um, and it's darkness. And where is it poured out upon? The throne of the beast. The throne of the beast. Well, so... Uh, <clears throat> where would that be? We've established what the beast is, so where would his throne be? Rome? Okay. Um, so uh, that, or the Vatican. Uh, Vatican City is now its own city. Uh, I don't know if it was a separate city at that point in time. Um, but, but we're looking to Rome uh, and some sort of uh, awful thing happening in Rome. Uh, and where else is it poured out on? What else, or whatever, what else suffers? His kingdom. His kingdom. <clears throat> well, where had the beast's kingdom been? All of Europe, right? So, uh, so his kingdom is all of Europe, just about. I mean, there, the further you get away, the the uh, the less the less you know uh, it had it had governed over in the east. Uh, around the year 10, uh, 10 something, I, my math is, I've got a lot of dates rolling around up there. Um, but the, the, the Catholic Church was, was split off 
from what we, we call the Eastern Orthodox Church, right? Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, those are all, those branched off around the year 1047 or 57 or something like that. Uh, and and they, they branched off as a fight over, you know, who wanted to, to evangelize Russia because that was new money. Um, and so Greek, the Greek um, empire is still in existence before its fall, um, uh, which happened in the 1400s. They got there first because they were right there. So, so they were excommunicated by, by the pope. Um, and so they've been their own thing ever since. So, so Eastern Europe will not be really counted in this, but, uh, and it's, uh, so I want to talk about the darkness. What is darkness? Where have we seen darkness before? And what did it do? How was the darkness? Okay, we talked about the dark ages. And what was it? What was it that made it dark? Okay, false religion, a, a lack of the ability to, to, uh, to have a, a, a genuine religion, to practice uh, and, and to read. The, you have the scriptures being locked up. So uh, the darkness is, is a, a doctrinal, it's a deception, really, um, because if people could have read their own Bible, um, they would have seen a lot of the things that, that were being told to them were not true. Um, so... So they they uh, they get into we get into that type of thing again. Now this is going to be a different type of darkness, um, and I think it's going to um, to be a uh, extenuating circumstance from what we just saw. So I want to talk about two men, uh, Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels. I think that's his first name. I don't, can't remember. What did they write? Anybody know what they wrote? There you go. Communist Manifesto, published in 1848. <clears throat> and we've been in darkness ever since. Uh, in 1848, about two weeks before this book was published, in Sicily there's a rebellion. And um, it's... it's uh, Limited success, uh, and, uh, and it's contained by Italy to Sicily. However, it kind of jumps over to France, and uh, France is a little bit more. Uh, they kind of have a little history with revolution, right? So they get rid of their monarch, who is, I think, the grandson or great grandson or whatever it was of, of Napoleon. And that's the last monarch in France. They've never had a monarch since. This was about a week or so after the publication of the Communist Manifesto. Everything you see happens in 1848. They are independent revolutions. In all of these countries that are governed, all of this kingdom, right, um, until November, it kind of swings back around, and Italy falls. The, the Pope Pius the something ninth, I think. Yes, the ninth is forced to flee Rome. He free, flees, I forget to what city, um, and he returns under French 
with French troops kind of guarding him, but he is confined uh, to, uh, let's back up here, uh, he's confined to the Vatican, Vatican City. Rome has fallen. Uh, and, and Europe has, has, now, most of those places will get their kingdom back, but, but it's only going to be for a short time. Monarchs are about done in Europe. Um, and uh, we're going to see uh, something else. So this all went on in 1848. It's, it's known as the springtime of the people uh, in Europe. And uh, is interesting. Um, that uh, this is, he's going to be in essentially a captive in the Vatican with guards keeping him alive until 1870. In 1870, the French pull out because they're being threatened by war with the Germans and Ottomans who are combined together. And the French are pulling out to try to go attack. And uh, so what happens um, is... The Pope, realizing that he's not, um, he's not secure, is forced to give up all power, all political power. He will only be a religious force from the year 1870. Papal States is done and over. All right. It's over. Um, now, it doesn't mean that the Catholic Church is over. Remember, we're dividing between the papacy and, and its power and, and the Catholic Church. We're trying to keep those things a little bit distinct. Now, there's going to come a point in time where we can't, and we'll see why. Um, and it says that they blaspheme. Again, it blasphemes, and they don't repent. So that happened in 1870. At the, almost the exact same time, there's a thing called Vatican I. It actually happened in 1869, one year before the, the downfall of of the of the papal states, you know what Vatican I? There's a, a major doctrine that Vatican I declared. Anybody know what it is? <clears throat> papal infallibility. Have you ever heard that? A lot of people think that goes way back in history. No, it's 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 fairly recently. That's that's 18, 1869. Anything the Pope says is equal to what God says. It's like, it's kind of ironic, the timing. As they're losing all of their power, they're doubling down. They're refusing to repent of, of this stuff, of these doctrines. And they're, they're coding and encoding them officially in, 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 in their councils. Because I'm kind of giving you an opportunity to take back some of the things that you've said. And they're, they're, they're even saying it stronger. This is official. Uh, so, um, any thoughts on that before we move on? Did the United States independence play a lot of part? Because uh, the monarchy of England... I, I, uh, America really didn't get involved in, like, the springtime of the people. We didn't get involved in it. Um, I... One of the things you have to remember is that in, in, the, in, this, in this time, we're fighting our own civil war. <laughs> you know, while a lot of this, we're in the aftermath of our own civil war in the 1869. I mean, we're, what, uh, three or four years after. 
uh, we're in reconstruction, we're building railroads. We're, America really wasn't a, a dominant country yet. A lot of times we think, well, America's revolution and we were it. And we're not even going to be a, a dominant world power until about World War II. Uh, we enter World War II as kind of a, still a kid brother to, to England, you know. Um, that's the way they look at us, you know, like, oh, yeah. You know, until even in World War I, we were not the world power. Um, so, so I'm not sure how much influence we had at that point in time. I, I don't specifically know, but I, I doubt that we had much to do with it um, at this point. Oh. <clears throat> All right, the sixth vial poured out on the Euphrates. Where is the Euphrates, and where have we seen the Euphrates before? And what happens to the Euphrates? Okay, uh, Euphrates, we saw Euphrates uh, was referenced to, um, uh, we, we saw a couple of things happen there uh, back in the, with these, uh, I think it's the trumpets uh, being poured out. Uh, and we have references to uh, Baghdad, for example, is right on the Euphrates. In fact, Baghdad is, um, and we're going to talk about this drying up period. Um, well, let's talk about that first before we talk about where. What does it mean to dry up? When you think of a river drying up, what significance does that hold? Dries up. What's that? Dries up. Okay, it dries up. But what significance? What, what's the illustration? Okay, right. So, so a river w were the centers of things, especially in the uh, in in this area. So you have we're talking about a decline of prosperity. Um, is is probably the symbolism here, uh, and if you look at it, it's it's always a process of time. It's never an immediate thing. Uh, you know, people think, oh, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be around. Oh, it's a flowing a little bit less until all of a sudden, we're going to need to figure out another water source, you know, and if you can't figure that out, then, then the city goes away, you know, it, it, it becomes nothing, or it becomes a village. So, <clears throat> so the Euphrates we've seen um, is, is a reference, really, I believe, to the Middle East. We've seen it with two specific things. We saw the establishment of Baghdad, which was right where the Tigris and the Euphrates are the closest um, in that area, and then Turkey. Uh, we saw the rise of the Ottoman Empire, which comes out of those Seljuk Turks, right? And then the Ottoman Turks, uh, that, that whole area. And, and, and so we're going to be looking for something. And this, this, is going, this uh, bowl has a lot of stages to it. It's kind of more detailed. So I'm hoping to get through this. And, and it also is going to be connected with the rise of the kings of the East, whatever that means, right? So I believe that we would be looking, if this is the Middle East, and we have a rise of the kings of the East, then we're going to be looking, this is kind of the dividing line between the Europe and the Asian continent. Not exactly, but, but this area, uh, at least prophetically, is going to be looking at the dividing line between these. So we're going to be looking at a rise of something in the Asian continent. And we have these three frogs, let's identify them, then we'll go through the, the prophecy here. Well, some of these are easy. Who's the dragon? Who's the dragon? 
Satan. Okay? And specifically, Satan what? How does, how, I think Mark pointed this out <clears throat> uh, as we were going through this. Satan always acts, when he's referenced as the dragon, he always acts in a particular way. Through what? Deception, okay. Uh, we saw that transition. Um, he always acts with a proxy power. All right? He always acts that the, the, that, uh, that first beast caused men to worship the image of the, of the dragon and various things like that. And we've seen Rome or various ones be, the, be this proxy power for Satan. Satan is never out, you know, you know, or see, you know, this, hey, here's a dragon walking down the street. Uh, the, he always uses some intimidation or, or whatever to, to be his power. Um, that he's using. So we're going to look, be looking for a proxy power. Um, the beast, obviously, we've been talking about the papacy, the false prophet, has not been specifically mentioned before. Uh, so we've kind of got to figure this one out. Um, what dominant force, if it's not one of this two, would we be looking for, do you think, in history? Islam. What's that? Islam. Islam. Finish the phrase. Allah is God. And Muhammad is his prophet. Never heard that before? Uh, so, so we'll be looking for these. Now we need to remember something. He says that these three frogs are not, they're not these forces, but these are the, the frogs are a representation, like a plague. Right, the plagues of Egypt. You had frogs. These are going to be three influences, three things that that come before this final, this final uh, suffering. So we'll get back to that. So we want to look at phase one, and we start where we end here. The Ottoman Empire is is in power. Nicholas the first had a phrase that he called these. Do you, do you know? You've probably heard it. It's been used for many countries in Europe. Have you ever heard of the phrase, the sick man of Europe? You ever heard that phrase? The sick man of Europe was, any time a nation is in decline, they call him the sick man of Europe. You know, the, the, you know, something that used to be considered great. Nicholas I of Russia calls, labels that around, uh, just a few years after this, this springtime of Europe. It's about 1853. Um, he labels the Ottoman Empire as the sick man of Europe, and he goes to war with it. Not going to turn out good for Russia, because Britain actually helps them. Um, but here's what happens. Um, by the way, interesting, just a little tidbit. Uh, Florence Nightingale, uh, Leo Tolstoy uh, have, have one thing in common, and... and uh, War photography have this all in common. They got their start in the Crimean War. These are some of the first photos ever of a war. Um, war photography happens in the Crimean War. It's between the Ottoman Empire and Russia. Russia will lose badly. It will set them back several decades. But it will show that 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 the Ottoman Empire is about done. So the the Ottoman Empire will last until, does anybody know when? World War I. World War I. 1822, it's dissolved. And 
uh, it, they will have no presence in Europe. They will be uh, it will become Turkey, and that's that. Uh, we're going to look at how that uh, unfolds a little bit. Um, but to look at the wrath, because these are bowls of wrath poured out, this is what happens from 1822 to 1922 when they're dissolved. The last hundred years, there are five and a half million Muslims that lived un just under the uh, Ottoman Empire that are killed. Uh, and five million Muslims are displaced. Now, that I don't know if that you think, well, that's not a lot in, you know, in a hundred years. And that's a lot at any point. <laughs> and especially to consider that uh, in the 1800s, the world population, China, everybody, all included, was not even one billion people. This is a significant amount in, in a small area. And God pours out wrath. And why does he pour it out? Well, we have to go back, really, to this, to the to the Ottoman Empire's rise, the the atrocities that are committed in Constantinople and, and various ones where they did not let people, uh, they didn't let people surrender. They just slaughtered them. God says those were Christians. I mean, maybe they had some doctrinal errors and things like that, and maybe the doctrinal errors were because they didn't have the ability to read their Bible. But God says, I remember. I remember that. I've kept it, and now, now I'm paying you back. Um, phase two, we're going to look at, so, so we see the shrinking of the Ottoman Empire. Now, I want to back up from 1922, just a few years, about five years, because we're in World War I. And, um, and so we're going to be looking at the Muslim decline period. Um, in 1917, there's a Balfour Declaration. England says, if the Jews can return to Palestine because they're kind of under threat in Europe, under Ottoman Empire and in Russia. Uh, so you guys can return. And if we beat the Ottoman Empire in the World War II, then we'll give you your own homeland at the end of it all. Well, they lied. Um, or at least they reneged um, on their thing. 1917, the same exact year is the Bolshevik Revolution. So what have we seen? We've seen what the Bible depicts as, as the Muslim area of, of around Euphrates is drying up. We see a rise of a European king and under the, the flag of communism. Right? This, this darkness that was, that was in the world through, through Marx and Engels only a few decades earlier. So here's one king. All right, well, let's, let's move on. Uh, and remember, if you want to know, the, the Euphrates drying up is every, every part of, of, uh, of Israel's rise. Israel's rise is, is their decline. That's why they hated it. That's why they fought against it, and they're still fighting against it today. Right? That, represents, that represents an obstacle to them. 1948, after reneging and after they forced their way uh, throughout World War II, there's more people, millions flee, millions of Jews are fleeing Germany, fleeing Russia, fleeing all over to, to, to get out of the way, leaving France, leaving Poland, leaving all these areas of Europe, coming back to Israel where they think it's, it's safer. Uh, so, so there's such a populace that Europe can't, 
not think about this. They have to. And so in 1948, they are made an official state. What happened in 1949? Anybody know? It's a very significant event. <laughs> very significant. You were, wait you were waiting for that. Something happened. What, 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 when were you, when in, uh, what, what month? March. March. Right around the same time in Asia. <laughs> the Chinese Revolution. Mao Zedong. And communists now control pretty much the Asian continent. And it will spread throughout, right? Giving rise to the Korean War, to the to Vietnam, and various various things going on through there. Um, but but we have the rise of this, and 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 we have the downfall really. And and every time we 1967, 1967 is what? Seven day war. Okay, I didn't put that on here, but I'm going to show you some pictures here. Anybody want to guess where these are pictures of? These are 1960 is the one on the left. The, these are in the, the mid 60s to 1970. What's that? Nope. These are pictures of various countries. Youth in various countries. Syria. Iran, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia. Can you imagine that? What you know about these countries today, this is what they looked like then. They looked like anywhere else in the world. They were prosperous. They were modern. Does that look like anything you would even imagine? And it all declines in the mid-60s as, as Israel is fighting a war and expanding their territory. Every time Israel moves up, we see this decline, right? And we see at the same time this Cold War getting greater in Europe. And we see communist countries getting more power. This all goes together. God says, this is going to decline and something else is going to, to come up. And it's going to, that's just the stage. Phase three is Armageddon. I want to talk about Armageddon. Because... It is symbolic. The armies of the world are not going to fit here. All right? It's not happening. God isn't going to be prophetic and symbolic the whole way through and then go, oh yeah, but this is literal. This, this is going to actually happen just as pictured. This is symbolic for something. And we're getting to the point where I'm not sure. We're very modern. We're, we're very much. We could be in this process. It could still be something that I'm not sure of. This is what happens when it gets kind of close. People start predicting things. Right? We, we get this reference to hailstones later on. And, and, and someone back then was predicting or, or saying, well, I think that's a symbol of cannonballs. Well, cannonballs have kind of come and gone. Right? It's, about the same weight or you know a talent or whatever and maybe that's once once it gets really close it's hard to to start conjecturing 
We can conjecture, but we need to make sure that we are being very clear that I don't know really. So whatever Armageddon is, uh, we need to look at exactly uh, what is being described. It's not literal, and it's not the end of the world. Okay? Um, yeah. You notice as we get into these three frogs, they, they're gathering the forces together. Forces are aligned. Who are they aligned against? They're aligned against God. They're aligned against his church. They're targeting Christianity. Now here's, I want to say, because we get into the idea that Armageddon is the end of the world, we've still got another thing happening after this, first of all, and we still have a thing happening after that in this, in this run through history. So this is not the end of the world. In fact, the whole thing ends by saying men will not repent. Well, if this is the end of the world, every knee is going to bow. That, that's going to happen. So, so no one's going to be blaspheming God if this is the end of the world. So, so the great day of God, there's been a lot of great days of God. Right? Uh, God has a lot of great days. A lot of days where he visits in punishment. Right? And Babylon was one of those days, and, and the fall of Jerusalem was one of those days. And when, when God comes and, and gives a mighty judgment, those are called days of the Lord. And there's a lot of them. So, um, so let's get back to these three frogs and look at the first one being, I believe, what we've already seen, socialism, that, that dragon using a proxy power that we've seen. What a great plague that has been on and continues to be on. We're 200 years into this plague. And it continues, and we've felt the, we finally have felt the influence for the last couple of years, and specifically the last year. We finally have felt a little touch, a smidge of what a lot of the world has lived under for 200 years or a hundred years. Well, if we were looking at the beast and, and it, well, let's, let's look at the, uh, so, so we see an economic policy and this economic policy, make no, make no mistake, has been aligned against Christianity. What is the policy in every socialist country? Wipe it out. Now, it is interesting that in some of the South American, they're heavily Catholic, and they are, there's socialism in some of them. But, but you will see that even in those, um, that's where you'll find some of the greatest persecution of Christianity is, um, is in those very Catholic uh, socialist countries of, of South America. Uh, I think that we can see since the 60s and that decline, we can see another thing emerge 
their jihad. We've seen it begins, I don't know if it begins, but think of the Olympics way back. I don't even remember which one in the 70s, 72. Was that 72? That's the year I was born. So So I I don't remember that one. Was that Munich? Yeah, was that 72? Okay, that's what I thought, but like I say, I wasn't there for that. So, uh, I, I, mm, summer Olympics, so barely. Yeah, I was, I was like, a, I was a few weeks old. I was a few weeks old. Um, so, so God is suffering violence. The church is suffering violence, and we have one more. And as we look at the beast, and this is where we kind of um, get into something else is progressivism. Our, the current Pope, and I use that loosely because he's not my father, but um, is all about the social agendas. I'm not sure if you're aware of the things that he has said. This one is different from anyone else. And there is a big division about this guy among, among Catholic people. Right. He is, the, one guy that was with him in seminary has, is now a bishop in, I think, Australia, says he didn't even believe in God when we were in seminary. Dirty little secret. This guy has said, you don't have to believe in God to get to heaven. That's his words. He's, uh, he's talked about uh, progressive ideas on marriage. Uh, he has, I think a few months ago, talked about an 11th commandment being um, some of the green earth stuff. Um, I can't remember how he phrased it, but but a lot of the, the environmentalism is, is like an 11th commandment. Um, just a lot of... A lot of if, if it's progressive, he's for it. Right? Uh, he's for every agenda that is being pushed politically. And I, I don't know if that's by choice or if they feel that this is what's going to... I mean, there's a massive exodus. I mean, as... Uh, uh, from all religions, we felt it. I mean, churches have felt it. If you go back to what churches looked like in the 50s and 60s and how large they were across the country, and, and to think of what they're like now. Younger people aren't coming in. They're kind of all about progressivism. And, and so, uh, so there's a, a feeling that, you know, uh, maybe we need to kind of go along with this to get millennials or to get the now the next generation younger than that. I don't know if that's what his, his plan is, uh, but, um, but certainly uh, we see some of these, uh, these great uh, moves within these entities. So um, we're going to end there. I was hoping to get through the, the seventh, but we're not going to have, have time. But I do want to kind of uh, look at one look at one thing here, and that is that um, by way of application, we do wonder sometimes why people don't listen to the gospel. 
and we think, and, and it can be that it's our presentation. I don't know if you've ever felt like I'm not doing enough or I'm not doing it right. Why don't people listen when I tell them? And the Bible says what? Again and again, it tells us in this, as we get to this time period, it tells people aren't going to repent. People are going to blaspheme. There are times where, where the, there are these great revivals, and the Bible has predicted that. The Bible predicted a, a great revival following the French Revolution, and there was. In the, in the late 1700s and early 1800s was when a lot of these, these churches, and it, when, when missionary alliances and various things went all over the place, establishing the Bible and whatnot. And, and there are places still in the, in the world that do receive it in incredible ways, but, but there are a lot of times where it's, we're in an area where it seems very difficult to convince people of spiritual need. And God says, sometimes you're going to have that, and sometimes you're not. You might have a great revival. Um, we, that doesn't, that's not an excuse for me to say, well, we're not in a time of great revival. I, I don't need to talk to my neighbor. Or I don't need to talk to somebody at work or whatever. Um, but we do need to not uh, get into the, the feeling of guilt for response. Whether people respond or not is not on me. I present it the best I can. And, and if I can learn and say, well, maybe here's a different way to present it, and I go on and do that. God does not hold me accountable for people's response. And, it, and, it, and um, I think that's important for us to, to learn from these scriptures. Here's an application. God says, there's going to be a period in time where, where God gives people an opportunity and puts it right in their face. And they're going to double down on whatever way that they're living in. So we're going to conclude with that. Oh, by the way, next week uh, I'm not going to be here. So Tim is going to be doing the class as we're getting close to the end of Revelation here. Um, uh, we're going to be going into the book of Colossians, and I believe Tim is going to be presenting the introduction to that. When I come back, we'll finish up uh, Revelation over several weeks. Uh, we're getting towards the end of the prophetic part of uh, of Revelation, and so the last bit will go fairly quickly. So.